Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. We just don't have a very accurate vision of who we are and what God's done for us. And that's part of what um, Paul is saying here in Ephesians 2.7. In the first three verses, I'm not going to go back and read them, but he lays out a really horrible indictment. Uh, I mean, he starts, he, if, you, if you've got a King James or a New King James, you'll see in the very first verse it says, and you he made alive. Well, the he made alive is in parentheses, meaning it's not in the original Greek. It basically, what the Greek reads is, and you were dead by reason of your transgressions. First three verses just lays out the case of why God was justified or the fact that we were dead, we were separated, and why he was justified in displaying his wrath towards us because we were children of wrath. But then in verse 4, and we've looked at this in verse 4, 5, and 6, it says, But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, parenthetically, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And a couple of things, especially there in verse 6, it says, not only have we been raised up together, but we've been made to sit together. And, and part of what I've seen this week, I've been listening to a lot of sermons on um, on faith and I just had this thought and it's 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 kind of incomplete I almost hesitate to bring it up because you, you start to get glimpses of something and you see it and you start to get a revelation of it but till you've really for me at least how my brain works until I've just squirreled that thing around and and looked at it a lot I usually don't share it too much but what I saw was there is a, a portion, and we see this. I was listening to, a, to um, um, a series on the end times. Jesus, when he resurrected, it says he went to heaven and he sat down, which always has the implication of a completed work, which our salvation is complete. He's done. He went to the cross. He died. He paid the price for our sins. He went and conquered hell. He resurrected, brought the captives out of hell, ascended into heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. But his work is not finished. Even though he, in, in one sense, he is finished, the faith that was applied in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is still having results, and it will continue to have results until the last enemy, death, is put under foot. And, and then ultimately, when at the white throne judgment, when Satan is thrown into the lake of fire, and we go off into the eternities of eternities and go into the new heaven and the new earth, then... Everything that Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection 
will be consummated and will be complete. So what I saw was for us, even because we are seated with him, our salvation is complete. And I've tried to emphasize this in, in that Sunday morning series about identification. For a lot of Christians that I know, and I don't say this to condemn them, but it is a huge, huge problem in the body of Christ. They spend the vast majority of their waking hours worrying about, am I going to make it to heaven? And they're worried about every little sin and sins, plural, when God's best, what God wants is, a, is for us to come to a realization that once you call on the name of the Lord, once you say, Jesus, I want you to be part of my life, you're transformed. You're in the kingdom right then. You're under, in fact, kingdom uh, is literally comes from an old English word that means king's domain. We come under the king's domain and we're part of the family and it's not that we just discount sin and we can, you know, the, the old argument against once saved, always saved was, well, if you tell, pe tell people that they can't do anything to lose their salvation, then people will just live however they want. Well, it's been my experience. People live however they want either way. Um, God was, was, was smart enough to realize what he dealt with and what he changed was our want to. That if you have a genuine experience with Christ and, and this is the big and, and you get in and, and start gaining a knowledge of the, what the word says, then your lifestyle changes not so much because you work hard at getting it changed, but you just get a revelation that I can live on a higher level. And it's, it's, and it's not so much that, that the, and I said this Sunday morning, it's not that the epitome of getting saved is to live a good moral life. We should all live a good moral life. In fact, we're going to see that here um, in um, verse 10. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God wants us to walk in good works. He wants us to lead an upstanding moral life. But rather than that being the epitome of Christianity, that's the basic floor level. What God really wants us to do is to manifest, we've already seen it, we've been raised, Christ raised us up and made us sit together in heavenly places. Our job from that heavenly position is to bring heaven to earth. And until we get the revelation that we have the right to enforce God's will in the earth, we're never even going to attempt it. And what I saw for, for, for tonight in verse 7 Paul goes into the very reason or the very motivation behind God. Now, part of the motivation was his very nature. Verse 4, 
he describes. He said, God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. God is love and his mercy is new every morning. That is his very nature. So his, whatever your nature is, it's going to manifest. You can't, now you might be able to suppress your nature for a while, but at some point, if you get put under enough pressure, it'll come out. It's, it's much like a, a sponge that's saturated. If you squeeze it, whatever's in it is going to come out. Well, when you squeeze on human beings, which uh, tests and trials and tribulations and just the pressure of life, those things will bring out the nature that is within you. But the motivation behind, other than, than God's very nature, which was the birthplace of his motivation, his motivation in doing everything that he did is in verse 7, that in the ages to come, he might show exceeding riches or the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's going to take multi, multiple ages. In fact, in some, some ways, it's going to take eternity for God to show us and to um, demonstrate that's actually that the word that the Greek word there that's translated that he might show means to make a demonstration an outward show to if we wanted to look at a a, um, a natural example take a and, and most most parents are, are, are smart enough to realize that their children shouldn't get every need met. You need to deny your children some things, even if you have the ability to give them everything they want. They should never get everything they want because they become ungrateful when that happens. You need to give them some denial because there's going to come times in life when they're going to be denied some things and they need to get used to it. Now, that, and when I say that, I'm not, I'm not saying you deny them love. You deny them clothes and, and you know, food, clothing, and shelter, the basics of life. But there are a lot of parents, especially um, rich parents, and especially parents that are rich because they have spent so much time working on their business or their job that they neglect their children, don't give attention to their children. They try to make up for it by lavishing, demonstrating their love through gifts and stuff. Well, that's part of the picture here. But even more so, what God, the, the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us is helping us to grow in our relationship with him and grow in the knowledge of, of what his grace can bring us. And in all eternity, we will never exhaust, we'll never figure out the depths of everything he's got for us. But he will demonstrate it. He is going to, to pour it out as only, you know, a Bill Gates or someone of that amount of wealth that just devotes all of their wealth to 
blessing their kids and pouring things out on their kids. That's what God's wanting to do for us, and it's going to take all eternity to get it done. But then again, we come down when you're looking at motivation, why? What would motivate God to do that? And I understand it's his love for us, it's his mercy for towards us. But there is also a sense, and this is, this is what I saw today, there is a sense that we are part of a bigger battle. Now, the greatness of this bigger battle is we, we, have, we stand in the middle. The war, and, and you can go ahead if you want to, turn back to Isaiah chapter 14. I'm going to read um, starting in verse 3. But Isaiah chapter 14 talks about um, the king of Babylon, which you will see. uh, We're not going to read every bit of it, but when you get down to um, to verse 12. In verse 12, it makes reference and tells you that this king of Babylon... Earlier in Isaiah, it talks about the prince of Babylon, which is the natural king of of Babylon. And then when it talks about the king of Babylon, it's talking about the spirit behind the king. In verse 12, he says, O Lucifer, son of the morning. So he identifies this king of Babylon as Lucifer, who was the anointed cherub. And he was, and, and we don't know how far, you know, was... In the beginning, because it really doesn't give us, a, the Bible doesn't give us a clear picture of the timeline on how all of these creation events worked. I don't know if there was the Godhead. I mean, I do know there was the Godhead in eternity's past. But did God then create the angels and they existed, and I say a period of time because I don't have any other way to describe it, but in heaven's realm, there is no time. But did he create this and then Lucifer fell and God created the physical universe so that he could bring man into existence and show up Lucifer through man? Or did, was there the Godhead and God created Lucifer? And, and the indications are he probably created the earth and the universe before he before lucifer fell because it at least it gives you the implication um, that when lucifer fell that he was immediately cast down to earth and he had access to earth in the same way that he still has access to heaven he comes before the throne and accuses us we see that in the in the book of job but despite all of that when Lucifer did come to the earth and Adam and Eve were living in the, in the garden, and we don't know how long Adam and Eve lived in the garden. Again, sometimes we read scriptures and it seems like they, because there are gaps, time gaps. Verse 13 of a chapter can be thousands of years before verse 14 of the same chapter. It just doesn't give you an indication that there was a long period of time. We don't know how long Adam and Eve existed in the garden before Lucifer came in. But when Lucifer came in, he came in with one specific task. 
and it, it revolved around Adam and Eve, but he really didn't care about Adam and Eve. His motivation, Lucifer's motivation, was to come in and spoil creation, spoil the earth, to prove to God that he could exalt his throne. Let, let's read here in, in Isaiah 14, and this, maybe this will make a little more sense because I'm kind of starting to get a little ahead of myself. Verse, in verse 3, it says, It shall come to pass in the day the Lord gives you rest from, from your sorrow and from your fear and the hard bondage in which you were made to serve, that will you, you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, this is going to be indications are towards the end of the ages, to either at the white throne judgment or just before that, maybe it's during the millennial reign. But in, in verse, um, end of verse 4, he says, How the oppressor has ceased, the golden city ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers. He who struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke, he who ruled the nations in anger, is persecuted and no one hinders. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. Indeed, the cypress trees rejoice over you and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against us. And this is where it really gets interesting about Lucifer. Hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you. All the chief ones of the earth, it is raised up from their, from their thrones, all the kings of the nations. They all shall speak and say to you, have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, and the sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot is spread under you, and worms cover you. Verse 12, O or how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you are brought down to Sheol to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? The picture here is Lucifer before the fall. You get a good indication from verse 11. He was the, the praise and worship praise and worship leader of heaven he had a stringed instrument but he decided one day he looked at himself and thought you know I should be God I'm going to exalt my throne above God's thrones above the stars of God I'm going to take authority over all of the angels of God and I am going to be like the most high and part of what I, 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 I envision here is I think Lucifer observed Jesus, or the second person of the Godhead, creating the universe, which, which he did through 
words. And suddenly he said, God created all of this through words. I can create a throne above God's by using my words. Because it says, for you have said in your heart. Lucifer said, he got filled up with his own pride, his own, um, he got, to, you know, as we used to say, he, he read his own, pra- his own uh, uh, sports clippings. And he thought he was, he was a legend in his own mind. And he decided, I can do this. Well, immediately God cast him to the earth. And he's never given up on that dream. Now, he viewed Adam and Eve as pawns in this greater battle. He doesn't really care about people. He could care less if, if, if what we do until we start demonstrating and, and um, manifesting the glory of God. That bothers him, terrifies him, but that he opposes. He doesn't care if, in fact, he doesn't care if you live a, a, a great moral life, that if you're a great philanthropist, if you're doing it in your own strength, because he knows he can, he can pull you off on that and take you off into an area of pride, and you're still not doing it out of the right reasons. He really doesn't care so much about your lifestyle other than he wants, you to, he wants to prevent you from coming into this knowledge that God has, has empowered you with his very nature. Now, this is where, what I saw here. What I see is part of God's motivation in verse 7. Again, he said in Ephesians 2, 7, he did all of this. He, he, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he saved us. He raised us up and he sat us down in Christ in the heavenly places. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us. What I see is part of the larger battle. One of the big questions in theology. Why did God have to come into the earth as a man? Well, there were some practical reasons. One, it was mankind that fell. And man needed to live. You needed a man that would live a perfect life. Manifest the perfect sacrifice. And then conquer all sin. Conquer death conquer and, 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 and assume the authority by conquest, not, not because it was his birthright, but assume the, the, the authority of Satan by conquering Satan. And he, he did it really as the Trojan horse. He went in as this meek, mild, weak lamb who had no ability to resist Satan. And when Satan, you know, if you've ever listened to Carmen's um, song about Easter, uh, he talks about, you know, Satan after the cross and after he had Jesus' body in the grave and he had his, his, his soul. And he was, because he knew, Satan listens and he has a great memory. He knew that Jesus had told his disciples, I'm coming out of the grave after three days. So he's, you know, 
the way Carmen kind of visualizes this and, and, and talks about it. He's strapping chains down. And he's not just got him handcuffed. He's got him hogtied. And he's chaining him down, nailing him down. He's doing everything he can because he knows that third day is coming. And he's going to keep him from coming out of the grave. And yet, he has no power because once the price is paid up for our sin, Jesus can manifest his own glory. And in doing that, he was in the middle of, of Satan's domain, domain, and he conquered him. It says that he, he went into hell, and he made a show of him openly. The, the picture there is of a Roman general who has conquered a foreign army, and he brings the, the king back to Rome. They put a choke collar around his neck and a chain on him, and the commanding general parades through the streets of Rome with this... this uh, king behind him in chains no thumbs no big toes so he can never fight you can't hold on to a sword if you don't have a thumb you can hold it but if you strike something it slips out of your hand you can't run without a big toe so they cut the thumbs and the big toes off of the warriors they can never fight again so he has no weapons he has no ability to fight and he parades him as his conquered this conquered one that's what Jesus did to Satan and then he came up out of the grave but here again we come to the purpose of it what is the the ultimate purpose of him doing this well we see it in in 2nd Corinthians 15 and verse 20 we're going to read through um, 28 and this is this is part of what the the reasoning of of paul back in ephesians 2 7 the reason he's paul sees that god is wanting to take ages to express his grace to us in first corinthians 15 let's look at verse 20 first he says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, when people die, we, we put their body in the ground, but we do that in the hope that they're coming out of the ground. Jesus is the first fruits of that. His body went into the ground. Now, it did not see corruption. It did not rot. did not go through rigor mortis, all of that. But it, when it came out, it didn't come out as a natural body. It came out as a resurrected body. That's the first fruit of what's going to happen to us. Verse 21 says, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ's at his coming. Then verse 24 is where it gets interesting. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. 
for he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. Now that last part gets real wordy. Paul, Paul sometimes, his phraseology, especially the English translation, it, you have to really dig in to figure out what he's saying. But what I see here is Satan tried to exalt his throne above God's throne. God cast him to the earth. So Satan and his motivation said, okay, I'm going to spoil the earth. I'm going to screw everything up. I'm going to bring sin into the earth by tempting Adam and Eve and getting them to fall. And I'll take over their dominion of the earth. And evidently there was at least a covenant. We don't have it recorded in the Bible, but there are in detail. But there are indications that there was a, that God gave Adam and Eve dominion over the earth for around 6,000 years. So Satan takes on that authority for that time period and his indication is you brought these human beings down here and you were going to you built a paradise for them and i came in and spoiled it i can i can can um this is a way i can exalt my authority over your authority because in this realm i'm more powerful than you and you can't do anything about it well God came in and took the second person of the Godhead, inserted him into a human body so that God manifested himself as a man, fully God, fully man, and lived the perfect life. As I said before, went into death as a Trojan horse so that Satan would let him in and, and bring him into his kingdom, his domain, because he thought I trapped him. He did something. I'm not sure what he did, but he did something to offend God. Otherwise, I couldn't have killed him. Jesus himself said, no man takes my life. Well, Satan knew that was true. So he, he and I, I think in his mind, he's thinking, I didn't see where he slipped, but somewhere he slipped. And I've got him now because it only takes one sin. And I've got him and now I've taken the second person of the Godhead and I've put him under my dominion. And what he didn't realize was that, yes, temporarily he was under the dominion of Satan because he was there as our sin sacrifice. And he was manifesting our sin. And as soon as the price was paid for that, there was nothing left to hold him. And he came out and just devastated Satan's domain and took him captive and took him authority. And then God, because remember, the, the, the original sin was Lucifer said, I'm going to exalt my throne above yours, O God. And God took a man, Jesus. Not Now, here it gets a little, the metaphors get mixed. Because Jesus and, the, and, and, and Christ, I don't know how you separate those two. The, the man Jesus and the second person of the Godhead, they're only separated in that the, the second person of the Godhead, Christ, the Messiah, 
was eternal. There's never a time when he did not exist. There was a time when Jesus didn't exist prior to his body being formed. But once the second person of the Godhead inhabited that physical body, I don't know how you would divide where Jesus' humanity stopped and his deity started. I, I, I look at it, they, they get so intertwined, I don't know, and I, won't, I don't think any of us will know until we get to heaven, how you separate those two. So God, when Jesus came out of the grave, God called Jesus to heaven. He presented his blood in the throne room on the ark, the heavenly ark, which his blood is still there, still speaking. It's alive. But then Jesus went to the throne of God, and he sat down. He, God, through all of this, was able to take a man and put him on the throne of God, where Satan said, I'm going to make myself out just like you. I know Isaiah says, I'll I'll exalt my throne above your throne, But even if Satan could have made himself equal to God, that still, I mean, that would have proved, um, those two would have been the same. Where God took a man, and not only just a man, the man Jesus, who had lived a perfect life, was united with with the second person of the Godhead, but when he sat down, we also... All of mankind that's going to accept Jesus throughout the age sat down with him. So God can turn to Satan and say, you thought you were something. You thought you would impose your will on me and exalt yourself higher than me. And yet I took a lowly creature like man and I have made him my equal. Because Jesus is equal with God. Now, we're not, but we're still seated with him. Part of of raising us up is so that through the ages to come, God has, and, and this is part of the mystery of God, God has condescended to make us just like him. The very same nature of God, and, and I'm, I'm trying to be careful here because we're not, we're not God's little g. We're not God, big G. We didn't exalt ourselves, but God exalted us and sat us down on the throne with Christ and says, you are level with me in your nature, and I am going to take all eternity... Now, I'm not done with things in the earth yet. I haven't wrapped up everything yet. So for now, you're going to have to live by faith down there. If, if I don't get it wrapped up before your time comes, you're going to die. We're going to plant your body. But don't worry. Jesus has already come out of the grave. You'll come out of the grave too someday. And I'll just bring your spirit to heaven. And, and this is a holding spot. Temporary. That just blows my, my mind to think that heaven's temporary. But it is. It's there, there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. You know, what a place. I mean, we've got streets of gold. You've got every need met, and yet somehow God's going to create a better place for us down the road. 
I mean, I've, I, I do know people that downsize when they get older, but I haven't known too many people that at the end of their life, they go to, into a, they buy a house that's less quality than what they've lived in most of their life. If anything, they may get smaller so they don't have so much to take care of, but they want better quality. Well, I'm sure that if God creates a new heaven and a new earth, it's going to be better than the old heaven and the old earth. And he's going to take all authority. I don't know that Satan will be aware of it. He's going to be in the lake of fire. But he's going to take all eternity showing us and manifesting to us his mercy, his grace, his riches to prove to Satan who's no longer there how much how wrong he was it's just it's it's a little bit different motivation for me that is this isn't just about me now the great part is satan looked at us as pawns he could care less what john roberts does whether i'm a success and not a success whether I, i'm you know he just doesn't care about my life i'm just a pawn to be used God does care about my life. Now, he wants to use me, but even more important than, than him being able to use me, he wants to have a relationship with me. And that is the huge difference. Part of the reason I, I, we, we need to change our identification so that we can manifest the glory of God and the nature of God to a lost humanity because they're living under a deception that, you know, this world is all there is. And I just need to get all, all I can, can all I get. Because, you know, I had somebody just recently tell me, you know, I, I got to get my finances taken care of because, you know, the stock market's going great guns right now. But, man, it's going to collapse. It's going to collapse real soon, and it's going down hard. I don't, maybe the stock market will collapse. Who knows? I don't know the future. But I do know that the word says I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen them begging for bread. Even if the, even if the world's economy collapses, that doesn't change God's word. It doesn't change God's will for my life. It doesn't change the fact that God wants to manifest himself. In, in the midst of, of drought, um, Elijah went to the, to the widow and he said, do you have some food? She said, well, I've got enough flour and enough oil to make one little cake. It was probably like a little um, um, rye cake, rye bread. And I was going to fry one up for my son and I, and we were going to eat it, and then we we're going to die. We're going to starve to death because we got no, no more food. There's no more food in the city. I mean, she doesn't say all that, but it's implied. There's no more food available. And Elijah looks at this little old lady. He only has enough for one little cake. And he says, well, go make me one first. Now, you think that would have hit the internet? TV preacher takes the last dime of this poor widow who's going to starve to death now. But in her giving that and honoring him, the glory of God manifested. And until the famine ended, that little container of oil never ran out. And the flour 
bowl never ran out. And I don't, I don't think it actually says how long it was, but it was a period of months, if not years, that that thing ran. I have a, a, a missionary friend. They went to Panama to serve God, and they got down there, and they had all these people that were going to support them. Well, it was like most people. They supported them and were really diligent to keep their support coming for about three months, and then they lost sight of them, and all the money dried up. And they're in Panama with three little kids, four little kids. I don't remember how big their family was then. They had no income. They had no money, and got down to they had like a they they their last meal they made a like a mulligan stew. Anything in the refrigerator is going in the stew. Let's make it up. And when they got the pot fixed, there was enough for the kids, but not for the adults. And they said, "Well, let's feed the kids. We'll go hungry." I don't know what we'll do tomorrow. We'll figure something out. And they blessed it, and they fed the kids, and she went back to the pot, and there was food in the pot. And so she dished out a bowl for her and her husband, and they ate, and they stuck. There was still food left down there, stuck in the refrigerator. They ate off that, that partial pot of stew for four days, and it never ran out. Why? Because they were in the middle of God's will and God wasn't going to let them starve. Now they eat the same thing three meals a day. You know, I'm sure it got, if, if that had gone on years, they probably would have got a little boring. They may have even gotten over to what Israel did and complained about, you know, we're tired of this manna. Well, the day the pot ran out, somebody came to the door. The mailman came to the door, delivered them a check. Somebody had... had uh, realized that their, their finances had dried up, sent them a big check to cover the next few months' worth of finances. Well, God can do that. But we need to realize that God's motivation wasn't just to save us and then watch us with a quick eye to make sure we don't get off in any little thing. And if we do, God will find, you know, your sin will find you out. God will get you. No, God's, God's attitude is, I'm in the middle of a war here <laughs> with Satan, and I'm looking for troops. And once you come onto my army, I'm assuming you want to be here. It's a volunteer force. And I'm going to exalt you and give you some weapons and let you go to war, let you manifest myself to this other populace and bring in other volunteers that way. And build up our army and build up our kingdom and see our, our enemy defeated and see the last enemy, death, defeated. That's a whole different way of looking at it. Plus, I like the idea that it's going to take all eternity for God to show us how much he loves us and how much he's blessed us. My dad wasn't rich, but man, he was generous. I can't imagine what it would have been like if he had unlimited means and unlimited time. I would have been one blessed puppy. Well, how much more my Heavenly Father, who exists outside of time and owns not just the cattle on a thousand hills, he owns the hills. He owns, you know, there, there is a, a, um, there's a process where there are some certain stars that they um, go through, and when, when they, they die out, 
they form, um, the last element that's formed in the heart of the star is carbon. And when the nuclear reaction can't go on anymore, the star collapses. And you get entire stars that are made of pure carbon and they, the gravitation collapses them so much that it is one huge chunk of diamond. I mean, God has made diamonds bigger than the earth. <laughs> Man, think of that for your engagement ring. I mean, I, I, I look at the, the engagement ring I bought my wife back when, before we got married, and, and it's like, wow. It, um, now, she loves it. But it, it, by the face of it, it wasn't a great demonstration of love. It was a poor man's diamond. But God's got entire worlds made out of diamonds for us. And that's just in the natural world, let alone you get over in the spiritual realm. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com.